Welcome to the CEC Report. It's the 8th of September. I'm Robert Bowick and I'm joined today by CEC Leader Craig Isherwood. Welcome Craig. Yeah, thanks Robbie. In this week's CEC Report, does Australia want war in North Korea? Demand a diplomatic solution? And Banking Crisis Management Bill is a Financial Patriot Act. So first, does Australia want war in North Korea? Demand a diplomatic solution? Craig, just before we begin, let me get a plug-in for the Australian Alert Service. We, in this, um, some people say to us in comments on this program, oh, can you guys take more time to deal with stuff in depth? Well, we have a time limit. Yeah. So we do our best, um, but there's a reason they're asking. They want the information. That's what this is for, the Australian Alert Service, our weekly publication. It covers the subjects that we talk about. Call in and get yourself a free copy if you haven't had one before and other people think about getting it regularly. Um, this is, you know, the premier um, political intelligence journal in Australia, um, frankly, and it actually gets read around the world as well. Because it's not just pro propagating the, the fake news line, Robbie, that the major press does, which, who have got intense agendas of yeah. actually pushing war. Yeah, we have an agenda. Oh, of course, Which peace. is peace and economic development. And <laughs> what we try and do is point out to people why they're, where the alternatives are to the to the, the way yep. to the crises that are to the policies that cause the crises that are happening, and that's what we're talking about in the case of North Korea. So, Craig, this North Korea thing has just gone off the charts in the last fortnight. There, right now, there are serious comparisons being made about the North Korea crisis and the Cuban Missile Crisis, but there's a, there's a bit of a consensus that there is that comparison. But the North Korea thing is potentially worse. Mm. I've got a quote here that Malcolm Turnbull said on the 6th of July on Channel 7, quote, It is in many respects a more challenging situation than the Cuban Missile Crisis. The Cuban Missile Crisis involved two parties, that were the United States and the Soviet Union. What we have now in North Korea is a rogue regime that is not taking heed from anybody. It is not a client state of China. Now, that is a correct comparison, but it's a bit... Um, upside down in some respects. We'll talk about that in a minute. Before we get there though, I just want to talk about the reporting in Australia. Because what you're getting in Australia when, on the reporting on the North Korean situation, it's very dramatic and it's one-sided. It lends itself to very dramatic TV graphics. Graphic, that's that right. doesn't necessarily mean that it's truthful. Well, here's a sample of what we're talking about. Look at Channel 9 a few nights ago. Early flight data suggested the missile was more than likely a Hwasong-12, standing 16 metres tall and capable of travelling 6,000 kilometres. Taking off from Pyongyang, it flew 2,700 kilometres, passing over the northern island of Hokkaido before plunging into the ocean and breaking into three pieces. Now, when you see something like that, Craig, you know, big graphics, etc., um, it's a general toning of the report, the tone of the reporting in Australia at the moment. It's it's all like that. What you, you got the you know you had this missile test over Japan. You had um, the ICBM was detonated on the weekend, right on on Sunday. They you mean did this, the hydrogen bomb. The hydrogen bomb. So they did a hydrogen bomb test on Sunday, and this is all breathless reporting, right? And you and you get the impression, what is wrong with this Kim Jong Un guy? I mean, what, is he just there trying to blow up the world? There's something they're not reporting, though, in the general reporting of this. It's not being said. And that is that these are not provocations by North Korea. They're all reported provocations, but they're not provocations. North Korea is, in fact, reacting. What's it reacting to? 
It's reacting to the fact that right now in South Korea, there is the biannual military exercises underway between South Korea and the United States, right? And we've got a few Australians over there as well. And these exercises, they simulate a war, they look like a war, and North Korea cannot afford to not treat them as if they're a potential war, right? And so what North, and so there's that aspect of it. The other problem with these particular exercises is they happen at a very, they're deliberately timed at a very awkward time for North Korea because they're timed to coincide with its planting and its harvest time. And we discussed this on the CEC report a while ago. One of the, th the thing with North Korea is it's a very industrial place, but it's, it's agriculturally wheat. The best agricultural land was in the south of the peninsula. And these, this planting and harvest is a full national mobilisation involving the military. And so when the exercises are held, all these army guys that would be out with the harvest and the planting have to go back and man the post, mm. and that just, mm. that, just, that um, you know, interrupts that process, right? And it means the population is suffering starvation and so exactly. forth. Exactly. And there's another, there's another um, uh, famine, uh, drought, sorry, underway in North yeah. Korea at the moment, right? Mm. So this is, this is something that North Korea is reacting to, and the way they react is they say, well, you know, we're going to show you what we're capable of doing. So they had an emergency United Nations Security Council meeting on Monday, and then the US ambassador, Nikki Haley, said, quote, North Korea is begging for war. That's what she said. Malcolm Turnbull repeated that in the Liberal Party party room the next day, that North Korea is begging for war. Well, with that kind of attitude, um, you've got to wonder, where are we coming from on this? Because if you, you know, sometimes you think, are we trying to talk ourselves into such a war, Craig? At the same United Nations Security Council meeting, China made the point that we're making here, well, hang on, there is, an, there is a possibility to resolve this diplomatically. And China said that, reiterated that North Korea has a standing offer on the table, which is called freeze for freeze, that's the nickname of it. And that is, you freeze your military exercise, we'll freeze our nuclear program. Right now, it's the nuclear program that if they develop an ICBM, they can then have a hydrogen bomb miniaturized and put on top of that, that can reach the United States. America will regard that as a threat, just like having missiles in Cuba was a threat in mm -hmm. 1962, right? Um, so if you freeze it, we'll freeze that. And China says that is a, a reasonable offer. Russia says that is a reasonable offer. This is what Nikki Haley said, the US ambassador to the United Nations said in response to that. She said, the idea that some have suggested a so-called freeze for freeze is insulting. When a rogue regime has a nuclear weapon and an ICBM pointed at you, you do not take steps to lower your guard. No one would do that. We certainly won't. Now, <laughs> Craig, the thing with that particular statement is it could be, it could be put up in the mirror, right? Mm -hmm. If the definition of a rogue nation is a country that defies international law, that could easily be applied to the United States. And North Korea would say, well, you're a rogue nation pointing nuclear weapons at us, and therefore we're not going to drop our guard, right? That's one thing to say about that. The second thing to say about it is, is, is this. Not doing military exercises is not the same as dropping your guard. Mm. It means you're getting out of North Korea's face. That's what it means, right? It's, it's, that's why the Russians and the Chinese say it's a, it's a um, reasonable thing. And as we said in a press release, this, we put out the other day, Craig, on this, it's important to remember that you know, when you've got this idea that comes from the Turnbull government at the moment and it's coming from the, the um, White House, you know, it's sort of like chest beating that you know, we're not going to back down to you guys. Um, 
That's not how the, North, the Cuban Missile Crisis was resolved. There was insightful back-channel diplomacy between the Kennedy administration and Nikita Khrushchev, and that included America agreeing to move NATO missiles out of Turkey, mm. but in a way that saved face, right? So anyway, this is what I would like you to elaborate a bit on, Craig, as we, do, as we covered in the um, press release this week. This is a specific, freeze for freeze is a specific diplomatic option here. There's a more general diplomatic possibility as well, which we've covered in the alert. It's promoted by the BRICS. It came up at the BRICS summit in China this week. What's the BRICS intention here for a more general solution? Well, Robbie, it's, it's a diplomatic solution. Now, I just want to step back a bit. Look, what North Korea is looking at is, this, is the West. When it sees these provocations where these war exercises, it says, if we don't defend ourselves with nuclear weapons, we're going to be subject to regime change. Yep. And they look at Libya, they look at you know, all the other countries where... The, they Iraq, did, Syria. They didn't have nuclear weapons. And look what happened to the leadership there. The regime change came in and they were obliterated into yep. failed states. Now, North and, and Korea, the leaders were killed. The leaders were killed. So Kim, uh, the North Korean leadership is saying, we're not going to allow that to happen. That's why we need nuclear weapons. So there's a bit of a difficulty here in terms of that type of thinking because, in fact, it's correct. It's true. <laughs> uh, now, the alternative to this is, now, this is all pushed by the West. I mean, regime change has been pushed by the West, and the pedigree for that is exceptionally well documented yep. now from yep. Britain and United States, particularly Britain, pushing for the Iraq war. All of that is well known in history, and you've seen absolute disasters. And George Bush, in 2002, when he gave his speech going after Saddam's weapons of mass destruction, he announced this axis of evil, Iraq, Iran, and North Korea. And as we discussed in that show we did previously on this, Craig, the year before that, North Korea and South Korea were together at the Sydney Olympics. Mm. They competed together as one country. They were, that unification was on its way. That speech set everything back. When North Korea said, OK, if we're a target for regime change, well, we're going to defend ourselves. And so what you've got in the, on the horizon there, well, it's actually not on the horizon, it's actually very much in the, in the political picture, is the whole BRICS groupings of countries, Brazil, China, Russia, India and South Africa. Africa. Now, those countries have a completely different view from the Western view of regime change and, you know, smashing sovereignty, which you've seen, of actually embracing sovereignty and in, embracing economic development. And look, what people have to understand is that diplomatic solutions are the only key. They are the, they are the only step away from actual war. Yep. So if there's, and this is what the BRICS are calling for, let's resume the talks. Let's have these talks and get to a solution. There are solutions on the table, but again, this is also part of the, the, the intention of the wish to build up the US military in this particular reason. And we've had the Obama pivot yeah, plan, yeah. which was uh, uh, you know, targeted at China. Well, this would give the US the capability or the excuse to build up more military well, and assets. It's just, and it's just, we've just, we were just briefed this morning on it. It's actually just happened. Yeah. There has been big opposition in South Korea to these missile systems, American missile systems. Now that South North Korea is being belligerent, the South Koreans are going, oh, well, no, you like, uh, come in and set them up, mm -hmm. right, that type of thing. So it's, it's, the provocation is causing the reaction. The solution is diplomatic talks, and this is what the BRICS countries are, you know, in there. Putin in particular said this is insane what's going on. Well, Putin said, Craig, he said um, the only other way to restore the country's sense of security, he's talking about North Korea now, quote, is the restoration of international law. And what he meant by that is what you've just said, Stop the regime change agenda, which is against international mm. law, and countries like North Korea will feel more secure. Um, the other aspect of the BRICS, of course, is the Belt and Road Initiative, where you know North Korea does have a difficult economic situation. The Chinese and the BRICS are going, look, 
we can change the economic paradigm here so that lifts everybody up and changes that internally. But it has to be seen, Robbie, in the protection of North Korea's sovereignty. Yeah. And maybe down the track of reunification, who knows, of the two South Koreas as, as the track was being you know, forged back in the early 90s. Uh, but the prop, this is what the BRICS are working towards. And, and this is what's freaking out the West is because this paradigm of the BRICS is literally taking over the world. And let's not forget, we've got a global financial system which is collapsing behind the scenes and any push towards war yep. is seen as a way, way out for these, uh, these, these, these people. Well, on that note, Craig, that's what we're going to talk about next. So we'll take a break and see you after the break. Welcome back to the CEC Report. Banking Crisis Management Bill is a Financial Patriot Act. Now, we put out a, pre a proposal to the Parliament for a Glass-Steagall separation of Australia's banking system last month, Craig, and it's been circulated all around the country. A lot of people are getting to the Members of Parliament. If you haven't done it yet, get a copy off our website, get it to your Member of Parliament. Just let me jump in here, Robbie, for new viewers. Now, what we're talking about here Glass-Steagall is uh, like a metaphor for a process whereby we break up the big banks yep. into what we call boring banking, which is your normal, necessary commercial banks, you know, deposits, retail lending, borrowing, uh, lending, and then, of course, mortgages and so forth, which is completely separated out from the more uh, All rabid... All the other stuff. Yeah, you know, speculative stuff, and which is in part of, you know, uh, investment banking, merchant stock banking, stockbroking, investment houses and insurances and all sorts of things like that. So you separate the two, you have two completely different systems. Yeah, if people want to put their money in, you know, go into the, the merchant banking, that's fine. But it's not guaranteed, it's not protected by... One way to think about it, Craig, is on the, the, the commercial side is where is where banking is, the money in there is money that's a medium of exchange for actual other things, real activity. The, 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 what you've got to protect it from is where money is for making money for more money. And they're shifting it around in the fog wealth idea. And Robbie, the entire system is yep. now guaranteed towards that ladder of the, the speculation and the gambling. And what we're finding interesting is that more and more parliamentarians are starting to realise that there's nothing being done about the global financial crisis. Yes. We're 10 years into a possible, well, not the possibly, a new one. And that could have predicates in the, in the collapsing housing market, the fact that our banks are so exposed through mortgages, the household debt to income ratio at 190%, the potential for increase of increase of interest rates, which would lead then to more you know, delinquencies in mortgages. So there's a whole lot of things here that demand some sort of action. And at the present time, the establishment is trying to push us into various sorts of you know, royal commissions and so forth, and trying to ignore this actual solution. Well, there are actual solutions. Just one other predicate to add to what you just said. Um, the latest development is that Aleph Economics, which is a, an economic study group that does a lot of work on the, on the housing market, they've just released a report called um, The Great Rort, I think. Uh, anyway, the report shows that Australia's banks have built up a $1.7 trillion house of cards, they call it, because we have the habit, a practice in Australia which isn't that common around the world, it's sort of unique to here, where banks allow investors to use the um, equity from the so-called capital gains in their investment, they buy a property and then they claim the, the value's gone up. And they can use the equity in one property against the and, and borrowing to purchase another property, right? And that becomes their, the collateral of that unrealised capital equity in one gets used on that. And so this is, these are loans being made against values that haven't been, even been realised yet. And it's a house of cards. It leverages up the, the debt 
right? It leverages up the whole system. When the system comes down, that acts as reverse leverage and makes the actual crash much worse. And Rob, that's why we've been on this mobilisation for Glass-Steagall and we've mobilised our base right across the country to give this to, to members of parliament. Yep. And look, people have to realise that this is a major political fight. And I know over the course of the last week, I got to see a landline program about the demise of the destruction of the prawn industry. And this is a, this is a lesson for people to learn. You know, 10 years ago, the prawn uh, marketing associations and the prawn growers were, were, were really pestering the government. Do not allow the importation yeah. of green prawns. Do not do it. It's going to bring this white spot disease into this country. And guess what? They it's did come it, in. They, they, didn't, in. they did not ban the import of green prawns. They have now. It's decimated the Queensland prawn growing industry. Because why? The free trade agreements that the Australian government is so uh, hell-bent on protecting don't allow us to restrict the trade into green prawn meat. Now, they've had to do it under quarantine measures. They could have done that 10 years ago. But what we're talking about, Robbie, the financial crisis, we've got the same sort of disaster pending and the bureaucracy, the treasury and other politicians that are you know, aligned to them are saying, no, we don't need glass steagall yeah, yeah. we don't need glass steagall So we're looking at a major collapse of the system, yet we're gonna, it requires a political out uh, outreach. And it's, yeah, so we're saying to Parliament, prevention, called Glass-Steagall, is better than the, the cure. Yep. And they've, they've got already cooking up a cure called crisis management. And that's what... So that's we, what, yeah. yeah, well, let's take a break and continue this after the break. Welcome back to the CEC Report, where we're discussing Banking Crisis Management Bill is a Financial Patriot Act. And so the Parliament has before them, Craig, the option of prevention of a financial crisis or a cure or, you know, reacting to it. And there's a bill that we've been exposing called the Crisis Man Management Powers for APRA Bill, um, however the specific wording of that is. So now... Before I just go through the details, I want to mention something to the viewers who, who are regular and know that we've been encouraged to mobilise on this. Call your Member of Parliament, make a submission to the Treasury on this bill. We're getting kickback from, from the Treasury. We're, they're not happy. There's signs of that um, from our mobilisation. We got a cease and desist order, Craig, from Treasury saying, you're not allowed to use our logo on your Glass-Steagall um, graphic anymore. And we've been using it for nearly 10 years, I suppose. <laughs> um, so then they, they decided to get antsy about that. They suddenly changed the website we've been directing everybody to without any redirect at all, right? So everyone said, Where, where's it gone? And they didn't, so that, that, said, that indicated they're a bit of unhappiness with us. Now, I'm going to put on the screen something. In, because the way we, when you, the viewer, in response to us encouraging you, take our proposal or write a letter to a Member of Parliament on this, the Member of Parliament usually takes it up to with Scott Morrison. And so... Scott Morrison is being bombarded with, with people saying, what about Glass-Steagall from his fellow MPs? So he has to send replies. But he sent a reply to a Member of Parliament this week which was shared with us. And what the reply showed is that Scott Morrison is not listening to his fellow MPs and taking their, their queries seriously. Um, he's just resorting to form letters. And so you'll see that the letter he sent this week, which is on the uh, right... And the, the letter that was, that was sent from a Treasury official three years ago in 2014, and the markings are the only things that are different in those letters, right? And there's all these excuses why Glass-Steagall doesn't apply for Australia. So Scott Morrison is fobbing off his own MPs on this, but he's not writing the letters. Treasury is fobbing off the MPs on this. And MPs, do they want to be fobbed? If they're happy with being fobbed off or they're schmucks, <laughs> if they aren't happy, they should be taking their responsibilities seriously and 
um, advocating even harder for their constituents. So you, the viewer, push them harder um, and I'll give you some more marching orders soon. Let's tell you about the bill though. So we've had a legal expert, Craig, look at this bill. And the first thing he said to us in a, when he reported on it, he said, look, there's so many pages here, cumulatively with all the different bills that it affects, more than 500. No MP in Parliament has a hope of reading through this and knowing what they're voting on, right? Mm -hmm. So they have to accept on faith what they're told by their hierarchies and then the Liberal Party hierarchy gets it from the Treasury. So that's, that's one thing. The, the actual details of the bill... When I was briefing one of our contacts this week on what we know about the details, he said, you mean it's like a Financial Patriot Act, hence the title of this segment. Yes, that's exactly what it's like. After 9-11, America passed the Patriot Act, right, which said, okay, all your rights are gone. Bang, there's a new regime in town. Australia did the same thing with our anti-terrorism laws. We said at the time, Craig, that they were based on Hitler's not Verordnung, which was a law passed in 1933 in Germany called the Enabling Act that said... Well, we can't define, there's a few threats to Germany, we can't define them all. We're going to give Hitler these powers so that whatever comes up, he can deal with them. Mm. Well, he did all right. You know, they, they never got to vote again, the parliament, after giving him these powers. So that's, that's one thing. Here's what we know it includes. This is sweeping powers for APRA to do the following. First, totally control all authorised deposit-taking institutions in Australia, which basically means banks, building societies, credit unions, etc., Plus, it controls insurance, insurance companies and superannuation companies, right? So it can control them. It can, if it needs to, direct their actions, appoint itself to take them over, transfer assets from them. Now, this is where it gets dicier. It can exempt officers, employees, agents, and APRA appointees from any liability. <laughs> so the people in inserts to run these things, they, they, there's no comeback on them at all for any decisions they make. And when it's doing all this, it can prohibit public disclosure of these directives. In other words, this can all be done in secret. And in secret, we, without us knowing, APRA has taken over the entire financial system. And so you think, oh, what is this, communism? Well, that's assuming APRA represents the government, which represents us. No, it's not. APRA is not doing this for us or for the government. APRA would be doing this because it represents the banking system itself. Um, first of all, this agency has a notoriously light touch, Craig. It's allowed all the practices that's got these banks into a position where they're going to be in crisis in the first place. It's allowed them to speculate in housing and in derivatives and these things, right, without doing anything about it. And in fact, it even describes itself as a shepherd of sheep rather than, than as sort of like a policeman regulating these banks. So that tells you about APRA. It operates under the Treasury, yes, which is the government, except... The Treasury itself has a revolving door with private banks. The current Treasury Secretary is from UBS, one of the big Swiss banks. Um, it, it is funded by the banks, not by the government. Banks fund APRA. And finally, it really represents the Bank for International Settlements and the Financial Stability Board in Switzerland. Of course, they're the ones that come up with bail-in to say, when a financial crisis happens, from now on, instead of the banks failing, it's the people going to be taking their money to um, keep the banks propped up. So this is really, really crook. Therefore, what we need to do, Craig, the submissions on this close today, we've encouraged people last week and the week before, make submissions. Don't make submissions to the Treasury anymore. Take this information that we'll put out, you get on our website, and get to your members of parliament. Glass-Deagle represents a solution before we get into a crisis, Robbie. This is setting up the powers for when we're in a crisis. Why don't we solve it before we get there? That's the message. So, I mean, yeah, in effect... That's the, that is the message. All right. 
So get our instructions on our website on the media release page section, and um, otherwise get a copy of the Australian Alert Service. But tune in next week for more of the CEC report.